Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I'm pretty sure it's one of the greatest jobs one could ever ask for, because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my friends that work here. And interesting people pop in all the time to rent something. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas here in South Africa. All right, let's open up the shop. Did you see that thing yesterday on the TV? Chaps. Good morning. Hey, cars. We got Cole and we got Gad. And not too long ago, the three of us all went to the movies. Yeah, it was lovely to get out of the store for once. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's when you know you 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 have real friends, not oh, yeah. just coworkers, where you actually choose to hang out. Yes. Together. Um, it's a good that, job. That was what I think the magic of short straw was. Gad, you can you can perhaps agree to that. Is that we would choose to hang out with each other, not just. Besides the shows, practices and shows. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it was interesting in the early parts of the, the career when we were very busy, we kind of only had ourselves. Like obviously you know lots of people and you can walk into rooms and know everyone, but in terms of the people that you could actually call to hang out with, we kind of only really had each other. <laughs> to some degree. To hey, some hey. degree. Because you lose friendships. When you're busy. When you're busy musicking. I mean, I mean the, you guys the, were... In the peak, we, were, we either had a show or a practice like twice a week at one point. Yeah, and there was... I'll never forget, there was one year, I forget which year it was, where someone wanted to do a show and it was just a matter of finding a date. Like, they were flexible. Yeah. And we were in sort of like May or June of that year. And we said, yeah, cool. Like, when's the next... When's the next good spot? And I'll never forget Jean-Michel, our booking agent, going, you guys are booked for the rest of the year. And we were like, What? Serious. Like every Friday, Saturday, or Was that a like weekend tour. The or early 2010s? Like 2007. No, no, I only joined 2017, in 2017, 2018. It was about 16, 17. Yeah. Oh, hectic. Then 18 was okay. the year we took a break because okay. we just something had to give. I'm remembering the Vasti days. And then we crawled back uh, to something in 2019, sort of restructuring like the band's got to kind of work around us now. And then. Big fat boy. It was very cool. Or as to, as as Benji, yeah. who you will you will come to meet, <laughs> yeah. calls the Covies. <laughs> and then the Covies game. You could tell how active we were based on our Instagram page, actually, because I was yeah. trying to find an image of us as Scooby Doo, which I still wasn't able to find. But you could yeah. see like 2016, 2017, you were posting like three, four times a week. Yeah. yeah. No, no. And then that was we kind of dropped off the social. <laughs> I remember a time in first and second year at university where. Um, like the thing to do on some weekends, like at least once a month, was go to a short straw gig. <laughs> it was like the coolest thing to do with your time. Aww. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> did, did you know you'd... Yeah, become friends. Become friendies. Yeah. All right, uh, chappies, we went to the movies and we watched Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. We put a lovely uh, poll on our Facebook group and the people decided as to which movie we should watch that night and we went and watched Dungeons and Dragons. I, um, I enjoyed it. It was great. It was super goofy. It was a romp. I've, I've, like Cole's the only one who's seen Dungeons and Dragons, so I've got nothing to really hold it against. I mean, but Cole's, I was thoroughly Cole's the thoroughly only one entertained. who Cole's the only one of us that 
knows Dungeons and Dragons. That's what you mean. Did I say C? C, but you, yeah. we know no, what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, no, it's you, played, Cole, Cole, played it. Cole plays it. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I very ignorantly um, made a comment about it last week. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, I, it's it's never it's never been in my radar. It's never been in my world. I have great respect and love no, totally. for people that do it. And I think it's really interesting to to know a little bit of the context. So I thought we could chat about that for a bit, about what makes Dungeons & Dragons interesting, just for a minute or two. Cool. Um, there's no um, coincidence that this big-budget Hollywood film is now here after this being something that has existed for decades. And that is because Hasbro, the big toy company, bought the license to Dungeons & Dragons, right? Mm. So does Hasbro have Transformers? Yeah, yes. so Hasbro were the people behind... They were a toy company. They made Transformers. Um, and it, it was an interesting moment because as we sat down in the, in the cinema, there was a group of people in front of us. And as the movie was about to start, they were like, we did it, guys. Our D&D crew finally watching the movie so it was like <laughs> that's happening all around the world yeah and, yeah and and i think that this movie is perfectly timed and has a big enough audience because enough people play the, oh, the, it's the, the game yeah um for those who've missed it and for those who don't know basically the game is is not anything actual tangible it's really just a dice in a book yes. and you have someone who kind of coordinates an adventure and you, you, they they have to sort of curate this experience, and you can decide to do certain things, and you have a character that you've been given, and the the game master, what are they called? Dungeon master. The dungeon master will help dictate how this game plays out, and effectively you roll a dice. Exactly. Um, and based on the outcome of this dice is is how the movie. I mean, your story um, carries on. Definitely not enough dice in this movie. Yeah. yeah, they they weren't they weren't die. I, I was I remember when I was Gad, curious yeah. to, to see how and they might bring Gad the whispered into my game ear. itself in. There were like three dragons, but like only two dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a fun movie. Um, a lot of fun. I'm glad so I saw fun. it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know whether someone who doesn't know Dungeons and Dragons could appreciate it as much. Right. But I still had a good time, and it's not a bad film in that regard um but what i find very interesting something you said is that you've been doing what you call a campaign right yes so 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 that's an ongoing saga yes um think about like frodo getting the ring and taking it to mount doom as one campaign okay (laughs) cool because that's the benchmark it's always okay well my my thing would be like what are the games last really long and something like monopoly can last for ages Oh, really? The game is designed to sort of never end. Oh, wow. I didn't know um, that. And even if the bank runs out of money, you're allowed to make more money with pieces of paper. It, it ends when you flip the board over yeah. in rage. It, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's that Dane Cook thing, which is like every, every game of Monopoly ends the same. And it's like, fuck this game. <laughs> it's two in the morning, Grandma. You win. <laughs> um, uh, but you have been playing this for how long? This um, particular this particular campaign, I think we started mid twenty twenty one. That's amazing. So it's been going for about a year and a half now. Okay, and yeah, based I think on we're how on like good session thirty eight, and each session is about a four hour Zoom call. Um, oh, you're doing it over Zoom? Yeah, because our DM Reinhardt's in South Korea. So and the rest of us your are here. DM, yeah, Dungeon, yeah, Dungeon Master. Master yes, you guys are cool. Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm so rad, man. <laughs> Just but is it in end in sight? Um, the, he does have a plan because it's 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 a what we call a, I think a homebrew campaign or 
it's, it's something that he's written completely from scratch where he's taken elements from like familiar D&D mythologies or stuff from other stories he's read and just made this like mix of a fantasy world yeah. of stuff that you can rec- recognize. So what does the game actually establish? Like there are paladins, there are warriors. Is that... Yes. So there, there's so, some sense of structure, which is totally. that, is, which is that you, there's certain kinds of people you could be. And you exactly. know what those people are. Yeah. So, like, which, our main guy in the movie, Chris Pine... He's a bard. He's a bard. And, of course, I had no fucking clue what that was. Yes. And they don't actually really explain they it. Don't maybe explain they don't explain it at all. I, that was missed on me. Yeah. Oh, like, Shakespeare's a bard. Like, a storyteller. Is that yes. what that means? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a good way of thinking about it. Mm. Oh, you see, I didn't even but know like what that word meant. Like, a bard is more a musician No, in but he was something else. Realm. There was another word that they used. He was a harper. A looter. Harper? Oh, well, no, no, that's got nothing Lutist. to do with D&D. It's probably just the instrument he's playing. No, the fact that he had to do good without getting... Oh, that was something else. So that is stuff that's got to do with that story. He's part of a faction of people that do good in the world without asking for anything in return. That's. But what is that called? It was a Harper, yeah, or Harper. something in the but story. But I've never heard that. It's yeah, more yeah. like his I'd family never heard that name. Either. Oh, was that not a Dungeons no. & Dragons? Okay, never mind. Maybe it was. Okay. Maybe. Well, oh, you just knew what that term meant. Okay, so the take no, I know what a bard was, not a Harper. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's like, I suppose for you guys, it might be confusing. Like, what's a I normal thought there D&D was a Dungeons thing? and Dragons thing. No. Um, it might be. Like, Dungeons and Dragons is it's 50 huge. years old, you know? It's okay. it's massive. So I think a good way to for you guys to start getting to understand it, if you want to, is a really, really fun YouTube channel called Critical Role. Okay. And it's a whole bunch of American voice actors. And if you go see their credits, they've been in some really interesting stuff. Uh, but they've now done three campaigns. And each of those campaigns is like 200 episodes that are four hours long each. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. It's been going for a while. Okay. And their first campaign did so well that it's now an Amazon animated series called The Legend of Vox Machina. Oh, wow. And it's really hilarious. It's, so okay. the cool thing that the movie got right is that Dungeons and Dragons is playful. It's yeah. playful imagination. Yeah. It's the theater of the imagination, right? Yeah. Um, and when you have a whole bunch of people who don't know what to do in a situation that's really stressful, you often panic and do silly things. And they were doing that a lot in the movie, right? Yeah. People were often making mistakes because when you roll a d20 dice, you might roll a two or a three. You try something stupid and then it doesn't work out. So okay, I can so see the, a lot of so that the happening idea is in the story. There's 20, it's a 20-sided dice? Yeah, you get different kinds of die in the game. Okay, but in general, yeah, the in main general, idea you're going to be using 20, a d20. And the higher you are to 20, the more likely you are to succeed in what you wish to do. Exactly. Okay. So it depends. The dungeon master might say that that wall is incredibly high. You have to roll like 18 and above okay. to be able to scale that so wall it's very much rope. Okay, so it's very much in the hands of the person who, yeah. who's curating it. And often they will design situations that you can overcome with some good problem solving. So I remember you kind of sighed out of, oh, like a stupid plot point. When the staff that Michelle Rodriguez got from <laughs> the best cameo ever <laughs> was Bradley Cooper as the, oh, yeah, as yeah, the yeah. gnome. I think he was a gnome, actually, not a halfling. Yeah, yeah. He was really small. Yeah. Um, Bradley and she Cooper? Got, yes. That was Bradley Cooper. I, I didn't even click. Yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she got a little walking stick from him. And then when the sorcerer saw that, he's like, oh, it's a hither and thither staff. Yeah. Where you can put a portal on this side and shoot a portal to the other side. Yeah. And so, I was like, well, that was convenient. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. That was so convenient. But often you'll be in a situation, like, for example, we had to get across a chasm in a mine. Okay. Okay. And we couldn't figure out how to do this. So what we decided to do was like throw a rope across with a hook and then one person's going to go across and then that person would be there to put out their arm and grab us as we jump across. Okay. We're like, okay, cool. So think about it. You have a D20 die. I'm going to jump across this chasm. If I roll a one, 
Yeah. I'm not going to reach him. Yeah. I'm going to fall to my death. My character will be dead Ooh. for the rest of the campaign. Oh, and then you just got to sit it out and watch your friends no, play. And then, yeah, then I won't be able to join, unless I make a new character and join like that way. So do you so each have your own dice when you... Yes. Okay. We had something in our inventory called an immovable rod, where you press a button, you can put it in the air, and it stays in that position in the air. So we had this thing that we could use to cross okay. that chasm, but none of us thought to use it. Okay. So I, it's, it's got to be problem solving. That's the start. Oh, this is what I wanted us to talk about, is mm. how this game has influenced gaming. Oh, right. We did talk about that. And so, and so, so is it like magic? Okay, so take perhaps, a lot so, from... Mm, well, just, just perhaps to just wrap up Dungeons & Dragons now, because this is obviously the kind of thing one could talk about for hours yeah, and hours. Exactly. But let's just, let's just keep it tight. The idea is that this game was, was created before video games. Yes. And it was very much the blueprint of how video games were then going to be made. And so much of what we take for granted as as information architecture and and how the experience of a video game gaming in general is made came from Dungeons and Dragons yeah. the idea that you have an amount of strength or that you have an amount of things yeah, you or have that dexterity you have and stamina and your health can be depleted and when you rest you get your health back and all of these things that have become standard like pieces of architecture in any kind of RPG game was formed by Dungeons & Dragons. So all of those guys who became game developers played Dungeons & Dragons as kids in the 90s. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Now that's interesting. The, um, one, the one thing I really love about the idea of Dungeons & Dragons is that idea of inclusivity. Yeah. Just people of all colors would be able to play and genders because you like make up these characters and these roles. Exactly. And the movie was very much centered on powerful female characters. Mm. Yeah. But didn't do it in, in a way that made you go, oh, yeah, come it wasn't on, like, like ham-fisted. Woke. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. ham-fisted. No, that was great. Um, it, was, it was really fun and really goofy. But like, it's cool because I think the fantasies that we have had before have been really serious because they're trying to be like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's like really serious story about epic mythologies. Like Beowulf. But then, yeah, exactly. What the fuck? <laughs> but then now we have fantasy that is really camp almost. Yeah. It's like farcical. Yeah. Right? And it's Hugh Grant in his villain era in his career, which is amazing. Which is great. Yeah, this yeah. could have been a Taika yeah. Waititi movie, almost. I would it, have been better than a Taika Waititi movie. Based yeah, on that, Thor, that Love kind of Love and Thunder, Love and Thunder yeah, was trash. too much. Too much yeah. Taika Waititi. Yeah, it was like <laughs> too overlaid. much. Someone needed he, to pull he, that guy back. Yeah, yeah. Other thing I wanted to just chat about quickly before we talk about Benji and the fact that um, uh, Benji Moody is coming into rent something or coming in oh, cool. for the chat, uh, and who Benji is, we'll get into it. Um, 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 um uh, Bo is Afraid. Oh, I'm super excited about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ari Aster movie. Yeah. Yeah. They so just released like a new, new trailer. There was like a very vague trailer. And have you seen the new trailer? No, I no. haven't. It's, 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 it's so confusing. It's I, great. I think it's going to be a super confusing yeah. roller coaster of a movie, yes. just like all his other stuff. So those who don't know, Ari Aster... Ha- made hereditary, hereditary, which was apparently bone chilling, fucking. It was insane. Insane. It's ridiculous. It escalated so quickly. And and Midsummer, um, which you and I watched, Cole. Yeah. Which was like was one of those movies where it's like I never thought I was gonna see that, <laughs> <laughs> and there I was yeah. watching that happen. That movie was nuts. Um, yeah. So he's nuts, and I think he's a boundary pusher. I think it's yeah. interesting. It's part of A twenty four, which is the sort of boundary pushing. Um, 
sales house, distribution house, production house. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like the sort of movie that started producing movies now, but they used to do a lot of distribution mostly. Yeah, but they pick and, and their curate. curation is amazing. Their curation. And so people love everything that A24 do. And Bo is Afraid is the new one, and it's got Whacking Phoenix, and I think it's it's worth our time. It's, yeah. it's like I'm one of those movies that have got like five different genres. You can't put your finger yeah, on it. Yeah, it's not going to be for everyone. Mm. Uh, apparently, it's scary. Oh, wow. I didn't get that sense. I didn't even get that all. sense, but people are like, it's a horror. What? I mean, he's a, he is a horror director, so that makes a lot of sense. But didn't pick that up from the trailer at all. I thought it was going to be like a whimsical adventure. It seems um, more suspenseful. Yeah, that was like very confusing. Yeah. Okay. I think, oh, I think the takeaway is we've got no fucking Watch the new trailer. Okay. But um, Benji Moody is, is here. As you'll see, he's a, he's a person I've come to know. He's this older gentleman. So he's in his kind of his, his, late, his latter years in life. Mm-hmm. But he has lived the most interesting life. He's effectively been a record executive uh, working at a record label. But at a time where he was able to meet Frank Sinatra and Queen and he's traveled the world and done meetings with Michael Jackson's manager. And we, we don't talk too much wow. about film and TV. We do, we do at some point in the conversation get to that. But um, I just love the fact that there are these guys that just have these amazing stories mm. and that have lived these amazing lives. He is so punk rock and he's like the original punk rock. It's so interesting when you see sort of young kids sort of take that iconography and sort of be punk. Yes. You know? And like what they think punk and is. And what they think punk is. And that's mm. cool. Like, not bashing them. Like, do it. Yeah. Be it. But that original punk, that like 60s, 70s, it's like this dude is that. And he's, he's such an interesting dude. So he, he's got um, a, a great store in Blegari called Vinyl Junkies. Yeah, it's awesome. It's Am I a, weird? It's a cool... You've been there. I walk past it when I go to spa. Go in and he's the dude. Like, oh, He just cool. loves music so much that this is something he, he still wants to do. I live two minutes from there. Yeah, go visit, cool. go visit Vinyl yeah. Junkies. Go say hi to Benji. Rad. Um, he's such I'll a cool that. dude. And of course, now this chat um, is, is, is going to be great. So... Um, unless there's anything else burning to, to chat about, let's should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, this is Benji Moody popping in to rent something. How's it, Benji? Cool, Russell. You? Very good. And it's very good to have you. Thank you for inviting me. Come and visit. I usually go and visit you. You do. You pop into the store, the Vinyl Junkie store. Yeah. yeah you've got this amazing record store in Craig Hall. And I go whenever I can to um, a bunch of key places to buy stock for our cinema gift shop. Right. And you always have uh, an incredible selection of soundtrack vinyls that I pillage every now and then. Well, again. I'm one of the few people that, that, that stock soundtracks. Yeah, they're not too common. No. Um, but there's a bunch that will always sell in our gift oh, shop. Yeah. The yeah. Dirty Dancings and the Grease and the Saturday Rocky Horror Show. And Rocky Horror. Horror. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I make it as clear as possible that I will always buy every copy of those that you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a vinyl fair once. Um, it wasn't your vinyl fair, but I'll, I will get to your vinyl fair. Where I said, um, please tell all the traders that if they've got Grease or Rocky Horror, like I'll buy it. And one or two said, yeah, I've got. So the others didn't bring because they thought I just wanted one. One copy. Yeah. And I was like, no, no. Next time, guys, 
I want everybody's copy <laughs> because they'll sell, they'll work. And, you know, late at night after a show, it's the kind of thing that you could buy that you might, as a, as a, someone who consumes and loves good cinema, you might not um, get to record stores and see them, but you find them here. Well, one of the reasons I stock them is, is, is because of you, because <laughs> you, you came in and started looking and, and I'd noticed the dirty dancing. Was, yeah. was, was every time I put a copy out. Because, to be honest with you, when people come in and used to come in and sell me collections of the soundtracks, I was like, no thanks. Yeah. And then I put a Dirty Dancing out and it went, and then another, I got another two, then they went. Yeah. And then I started thinking, well, there's a market. So Dirty Dancing probably would be in my top 20. Yeah. Uh, probably uh, of uh, all sales. Of, of all sales, yeah. Dirty Dancing and Top Gun. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> the danger zone. <laughs> um, and whenever I visit you, we always have a fat chat and you share always very amazing and interesting stories because you've led this fascinating and colorful and interesting life. And we've often joked that unless we talk about these stories, there might be generations that mm. might die mm. at some point, not anytime soon, you, oh. you, you going strong. <laughs> But um, and some of these stories might be lost, and so in 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 some little ways here and there, we've got to tell these and share some of these stories. Okay. Um. What What did you? Okay. Well, let's start with you. You came with your father when you were how old? From um, uh, from Scotland, actually. We, okay. we came here in '64. I was uh, I was ten. My father was with um, the SA Special Air Services. Okay. Commandos. And uh, British Army type, you know. Yeah. And um, he came here to to uh, to train um, to train commandos, and also he, he didn't do that very long. He became a workman, you know. Um, okay. After that, but we came here because it was just you know Scotland in 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 the sixties was very depressed. It was still post-war. Yeah. You know? Wasn't too far from. It was like ten years. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, so we came here and, 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 and made South Africa our home. Yeah. Joburg specifically? Where no, no. We actually came to Benoni okay. <laughs> on the East Rand. I'm an East Rand boy. Okay. Um, and, and eventually I landed up in Brackpan. Nice. Where, where I kind <laughs> of uh, I hooked up with the Windridge Brothers from Air Void um, because they're from Brackpan. Okay, so is that how you pronounce the band's name? Evoid, yeah. Evoid. Evoid. In, in my head, it was always Evoid. Well, Evoid, Evoid, tomato, yeah. tomato, you know. Sure, but but Evoid were quite a significant South African band. Oh, yeah. I mean, Taxi Man. Oh, Taxi Man, Shadows. Shadows. Um, yeah, they were a bunch sort of, of. Well, I mean, in, at the turn of the 80s and 82, uh, 83, there was, there was nobody bigger in South Africa. They were absolutely massive. Yeah. I mean, they sold 100,000 albums. Yeah. Um, so I met them when I moved to Brackpan. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I met Lucian Windridge, actually, the guitarist. He was only about 15. Where are these guys now? Are they still ticking? Yeah, they're in, they're in the UK. Okay. Uh, uh, Eric, I think, um, teaches music at a college. And Lucian's kind of like a, <laughs> a professional uh, traveler. Oh, uh, you know, he's, he's a wonderful kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I joined the band in, in, in Brackpan. Eric wasn't in the band. It was just Lucian, myself, and a crazy. You were a part of Evoid. When we were called Void. Ah. We were called Void first, and we had a crazy 
Australian drummer who used to sit his drums a lot um, <laughs> as part of his, of his closing show, but sometimes he was so out of it that he lit them on the first number, oh, uh, which brought the show to an end very, very quickly. But I mean, um, <laughs> you, you could probably agree that like guitars are expensive, but drums are astronomically expensive. He was crazy. So how, would, did you, how did you burn a drum kit? Often. Well, he would he would take methylated spirits. His favorite party trick yeah. was to take uh, methylated spirits, pour it on the side tom, and yeah. set it alight, and then put it on his head and run into the crowd. And <laughs> and and he scared the bejesus out of people. Um, and this is this is long before oh, jock oh, and oh, safety oh, codes. Oh, this is, and <laughs> listen, we we played the Pope John Hall in Brackpan, which was a Catholic venue. Okay. And we only got the gig. We only got the gig of the hall because I was Catholic, or my mother. Well, you know, yeah. I was brought up a Catholic, and the priest knew my mother. But you know, and, and she told them we were a dance band, yeah. which we weren't. Yeah. We, were, we were a psychedelic, drug-fueled rock band. Yeah. And he set alight the drum on cue during "Radar Love" by Golden Earring. Yeah, yeah. And got up to ran to go and run into the crowd and went past the velvet curtains which caught a light. Oh, wow. And so that brought the show to the end. We were banned. <laughs> I hold the record for being banned from the Pope John Hall in Brackpan, oh, amongst other venues. Glorious. Okay. And then, um, so you played in bands. Yeah. But um, there was at some point a move to being label. Well, what, what, well what happened was is that when I, when I, when I left school, when I left Benoni High in 1970, um, I went to work in a record store, in a vinyl, what's now called yeah. a vinyl store. So that was my first job. Um, and it was during the time that I was working in a, in a record store in Hillbrow in about 75 that I met the guys from Weir Records who had just opened the South African arm of Weir uh, in Joburg. Yeah. And, um, was this the, re the Hillbrow Records? No, no. This was a, this was a shop down in um, a block down across the road from High Point. Okay. Uh, called EMI Record and Tape uh, okay. Center. Because uh, yeah. our, our friendship got a little more formalized when, as limited a dish, I, I made the Hillbrow Record Center t-shirt. Love that t-shirt. And, and you came through to collect it because mm -hmm. you'd ordered it. And mm. I think that's when you and I were like, Where we oh, kind of you, you, you. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you're Benji Moody. <laughs> It was nice to meet you, and then yeah. you sort of saw what I was doing, and I guess we kind of. I was wearing it yesterday when I went to movies. So oh, lovely. Uh, people ask me all the, again. People ask me all the time about that. Well, go. that was the point of limited edition. Was as this sort of side business of mine, I wanted to make T-shirts that had some story, that had some context, and you have to do more. Yeah, yeah. No, I, we'll 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 keep making a, a few more of those. The Joburg Records was yeah, a nice T-shirt. One, yeah. And I, yeah, I want to keep finding those kinds of stories because I took great joy in tracking down the owner or at least getting them on the phone and getting their blessing yeah. to, to make this t-shirt, which was important to me. Um, okay, so you worked in the record store. I worked in the record store. Then I met the guys from Weir Records. They used to, they used to pull up on a, on, on a Friday afternoon and come in and go, uh, the, the MD and the marketing guy, and go, hi, how are you doing? How many copies of Rumors do you want? How many copies of Hotel California do you want for the yeah. weekend? So I'd buy, and you know, you get chatting, and I mean, I'm a music fanatic, a yeah. junkie. And um, eventually they said, do you want to come work for us? Yeah. And I went, okay. This is now? 70s. 70, uh, beginning of 76. 
Okay. And so I joined, I left, well, originally I used to catch a train from Brackpan in the morning to Park Station, yeah. walk from Park Station to Hillbrow, open up the shop. And then at the end, I would catch the last train back to Brackpan and do that day in and day out. But eventually it didn't work. So I moved to, to, to Hillbrow. Okay. Um, was, and, that, was that as, as, as cool as I would imagine it was? Oh, Hillbrow was a gas. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, Hilba was was awash with, with great clubs, loads of music, loads of women. Yeah. Uh, um, it 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 was a safe place where you could walk at yeah. night. So I would, um, so joining a record company kind of changed my life completely. Yeah. Um, because prior to that, before the music bug bit me back back when I was fourteen. Yeah. Um, when I heard Hendrix for the first time, that was when it, it, it got me. Yeah, yeah. I was going to be an archaeologist, <laughs> so uh, which I still have a great love for. You know, yeah, yeah, I've just yeah. come back from doing Rome and 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 Pompeii yeah. and a whole number. So um, I, I, you know, I, I developed this this kind of ear for yeah. artists. Yeah. And 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 in '78, um. Signed my first artist, which was a band called Backstop, which were kind of a, okay. uh, a, a ZZ Top stroke, um, stroke Leonard Skinner kind of southern rock okay. boogie band. Okay. Um, and they were very, very popular. And they, we had a number one hit single, which amazed me. Cool. I mean, I didn't know anything about marketing in those days. It was yeah. always, it was always about, about the music, always has been about the music. Yeah, I th and I think that's one of those jobs where – if there really is respect and care, uh, it shines. It shines through. Well, if you look after the music and the artist, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. As long as you, your heart's true when you sign an artist. Yeah, that's what I mean. As opposed to like just seeing dollar signs or just yeah. just doing something because they're, they're popular. Yeah. I did that once. Yeah. And it didn't pan out very well for me. I, yeah. signed, I signed, I think, in 84 a group of girls, which predates the Spice Girls, yeah, yeah. called the Working Girls. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I've seen I that signed, final around. Yeah, so I, I signed the Working Girls, mainly because I was in love with most of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and was hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, sure, sure. Uh, this is my in. And, and, and we had, yep, sure, sure enough, we had a hit single, but like all my musician friends were like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, so when I, yeah, when I saw that vinyl, I, in my heart, my my mind immediately went to like, I wonder where these women are now. You know, they're like, are they driving like a Fortuna, dropping their kids off at school? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, One of them still a musician. Across, you know. Scattered across the world, um, but no, it was really interesting. So, so then I started uh, kind of going through the ranks at at Weir and and, and I. I picked up a talent for spotting stuff and 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 you gotta yeah it's not just about spotting but it's about getting it well it know? was signing and the artist it was developing it i started going into the studio i started doing mixes uh, i started with song selection and and working with them on 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 shaping it that's always what I've, yeah. i i love and i still do although i don't do it anymore but i love Hearing something and going, oh my God, that that could be so massive if yeah. you move the middle eight over there and mm. double the chorus. An arrangement, yeah. An arrangement on the song. I mean, I did it time and time again throughout my career, yeah. where I would take songs. But but you work with the artists. You go like, how big do you want to be? 
and they go, yeah. well, I want to, you know, you yeah, know yeah. So I want to be big. So, okay, well, if you drop, take the, the thing was with guitar solos. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would often take guitar solos out of songs that were destined for radio because they just don't work. Interesting. And, and, and so to go to the band, you had to handle it very carefully and say to the guitar player, look, it's a great solo, but, but uh, um, for radio, it yeah. doesn't work. I yeah. did that quite a few times. <laughs> so, so, so it was always and always has been working with artists and developing their careers. Yeah. Sadly, that doesn't happen anymore in the music business. Yeah, well, they also kind of develop themselves. And sometimes it can be a bit lonely or sometimes it can, it, it, you know, you don't necessarily have the mentors you need. I know that there was definitely a point where it felt like our initial buzz with short straw had kind of happened to a degree which was great and exciting to have experienced and then there was definitely a point on one or two of the albums afterwards where it was like what do we how do we what do we how do we navigate mm. this now we're ex it, there was a feeling that we were expected to do a certain thing or there was an expectation and it's like now it would be nice to really have help <laughs> or some guidance you know there was moments where you kind of feel you need it because everyone can be very quick to develop you initially, but to sustain you also takes just as much. But the thing is about expert ab opinions about and that work. is that, that that when you're dealing with bands, for instance, you've got four or five different opinions on what happens. Very much so. Yeah. So an outsider coming in and saying this is the best course of action if you want to do X, Y, and Z is the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, uh, and I, again, time and time again, I kind of in, I would I would insist very diplomatically that x track was going to be the single yeah and i would always go back as do you want to do you want to happen or you don't want to happen i wasn't right all the time obviously sure. but most of the time i was right yeah um so i spent 21 years with we are stroke tusk yeah um you know developing artists and and, and part of that was my self-development as as a music guy, you know, um, I'm working with international artists and tours and yeah, and that sort of thing. So when did when did old Rod Stewart happen? Uh, so the first time Rod came here was, I think it was '85. Okay, that uh, was the year I was born. Oh, okay, <laughs> wow. So '85, um, Sun City was was the place. that was the place. Yeah, because uh, it, this is in the throes of the cultural boycott oh yeah this is where the cultural boycott was full on so yeah so the idea i'm sure most know but the idea was that uh sun city was situated in Paputatswana, which, which was, was supposed to be an independent which country. was supposed to be an independent country so that allowed for artists to still come in because there was international pressure to not perform in south africa and of, international pressure not to perform at sun city yeah, well then there yeah, then there was that then was kind was of formalized that, by that song right. by old the yeah. dude from the E Street band. Oh yes, so uh, uh Miami Steve. Stephen yeah. Sand. Yeah, Stephen But the thing Sand. is about 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 Sun City is that you know, all of that money. It was all about the money. Money talks. Yeah. And so when they were talking to Sinatra, for instance, who was the first act to do Sun City, Sinatra mm. firstly didn't give a toss. Yeah. About anybody. He, he strikes me as the kind of guy who yeah. doesn't I mean, care I met him. I, I met him backstage before the, first, before the concert of the first gig at Sun City. And we all stood in a line. It was like, it was like something out of um, Mr. Bean, you yeah. know, because you had the line of people, all of us in a line. Yeah. And he came down going, 
It was like the Queen would yeah, yeah. go down shaking hands. And he had a cigar and a, and, and a tumbler of Jack Daniels, which made him cool in my book. Yeah, sad, sure. You know? And he came down. It was Hello, Mr. Sonata. We were told not to look stare at him <laughs> and everything. But but all of them came. I mean, Queen, Rod Stewart, Linda Ronstadt, Chicago. I mean, there was just the, a stream of the them. The Queen show was famous for Freddie Mercury not having his voice. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, was that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, Rod, so so... The word came out from Warner Brothers in America. Rod Stewart's coming to your end of the world. Uh, we had a really great international guy at Warner Brothers in LA called Tom Rufino. And he was so pro us because we, yeah. we, we were a music company. And, 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 and more than that, Weir was an example of what South Africa could be because we were completely non-racial, mixed. Yeah. Um, and... That, that appealed to the Americans. Anyway, so Rod Stewart's coming. I get the message. I've got to go, you know, I put something together. So I put together a best of Rod Stewart, a, a greatest hits of Rod Stewart. Oh, you release, so you released something yeah, before? especially for the tour. Okay. And I decided, because I knew he was a soccer fanatic and, and him particularly being a Scottish so, so, soccer fanatic, I had a tartan scarf made with the words Rod Stewart, South African tour on it. Cool. And so I met him. What were you going to do with that? Sell it oh, as merch at the show? A, yeah, it was a sell-on. It was a South African tour souvenir. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you'd buy the you'd buy the CD or the or the or the uh, the album, the vinyl or the cassette, and you would get the free scarf. Okay. Cool. But I had to run it past him first, and the word was that he didn't like those sort of things. Anyway, I went down there, met him in in the bar of the hotel. Oh yeah, you were telling yeah, me. But we this is the a, where was the hotel? The hotel was downtown. I'm just trying to remember where. You it was said next to Jabeer Park. Jabeer Park, yeah. Okay. Just trying to remember the name of it. But yeah. um, and I met him, and he was a cool dude. He was so down to it, but he looked like Rod Stewart. Yeah, you know? sure. He, he had the blonde, bleached hair, the tan, mm, yeah. the cut-off shirt, the whole number. How did he greet you again? Something like. Fucking doing, mate. Yeah, yeah. Like, how you doing, mate? Or yeah, how you fucking doing, mate? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a beer. Yeah. So we sat and drank beers, talked about soccer. Yeah. And then he said, "Okay, so what's the story?" I told me, "Yeah, yeah, all right, fine, great. Are you coming up to the show?" I said, "Yeah, I was coming up to the show." So he came back twice. I think he came eighty. Is that eighty-four? I think was the first one. Eighty-six, the second time. And and what was the? Wasn't there a T-shirt that was quite controversial? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I have a, I had a copy of it. Yeah, I had it framed for It was up in your shop. Yeah, it was up in my shop. Fuck the art, let's rock and roll. Fuck the art, let's, let's rock, rock and roll. roll. It was only given to the touring people, you know, people on the tour. And so I had a copy of it. Oh wow! And I had it framed and everything. But whose idea was that shirt? Oh, that was their shirt. That was, okay, uh, yeah, that's they what they had the shirt. I I, I bummed it off uh, one of the crew. Uh, okay, so it was his like touring yeah. parties. So all these yeah. artists would come in and you'd 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 look after them and and some were, most of them were really cool. Some yeah. of them were assholes, you know. Any any particular assholes stand out? Uh probably <laughs> probably Jimmy Smith, Wilson Pickett. Um, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith was a jazz organist. Uh, Wilson okay. Pickett was a huge uh, soul superstar. Uh, okay. He he was particularly nasty. Tracy Chapman. Yeah, I, I, I've you you hear those stories about her being yeah. difficult, but I mean that's her own reasons, I guess. Own trip. So I did all of that, um, and then and then what happened? Oh yeah, then I went. I I, I left Tusk when we sold it to Gallo, um, and I went to um, I started Fresh Music, which is a South African only label. So yeah. I did I did Black Sunshine. I did. Uh, 
uh, Nia Nell, who was absolutely massive, uh, Cofield Bundy, who was also massive. So I did that. And then I went to Cape Town for, for two years, um, which was, with hindsight, a mistake. Just to hang out? <laughs> no, I went because of a girl, you know. Yeah. I mean, I went and I sold everything in Joburg and went to Cape Town. <laughs> and I was bored You're shitless romantic. in Cape Town. Okay. Bored shitless in Cape Town. It just nobody works. <laughs> you know, I've got a work ethic. I get yeah. up in the morning, I work. And so eventually I came back. Then I went to Damlin and, and started lecturing at Damlin for, for oh, two cool. years. Lectured media and music um, and contemporary music. Um, and that was fun. And yeah. then Universal approached me, Universal Music, and said, how would you like to come and start up a brand new label for us with as much money as you need to Ooh. sign whoever you want? Mm. I mean, that's... Sounds like an offer you can't refuse. I didn't. And oh, so, yeah, I, yeah. I, so I went to... So I left... I left... Uh, um, I left uh, uh, Damlin and joined Universal. And what was that label that you started? Oh, head of head of head of the the Universal South Africa's local division. Okay, it just had it didn't have a new didn't name, have a new name. That, no, yeah. I was past names by then. Um, yeah, sometimes and, it's not uh, even yeah, and needed. It, I, I don't know. I can't even remember what my business card said. Yeah, I don't even know. Did I have a business card? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, so I, 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 for the first year, I just tinkered around with a couple of little things. And then idols popped up, uh, and when the international company phoned us and said, "BMG out of the picture, or Sony's out of the picture with idols," um, and we've now acquired it, and you guys are, you know, uh, required to get involved in it. And my first was reaction. Uh, reaction was like, "Not a fuck am I doing idols?" You know? Yeah, it's like, I died, you know. Mm. I'd be I'm very, punk rock. <laughs> yeah, I'm rock. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to go with these chances and the whole number. And then, actually, my wife sa said to me, "But you don't have to do it like that. You yeah. can do it your way. Yeah. And 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 do your thing about choosing songs. And you know, she says all you need to do is find somebody. And she said, you know what you always say if you have a great song, yeah, and a and a medium. Even yeah, mediocre singer. Yeah, you can still have a hit. So that's what happened. Elvis Blue came up as yeah. the winner, and I looked at this dude and I thought, fair voice. Yeah, uh, very homespun, very down to earth. Mm. And um, so I did the Elvis Blue album, which was absolutely massive. Yeah, and then I did David Van Feeren, which was another story altogether. And then, so, but 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 by two thirteen, I I, I kind of went. Yeah, and Pop Idol is one of those things where, you know, we perhaps if you followed it during the, you know, during the season, you would get into it. But yeah, the, it sort of dissipated after a few, in the sense that the whole of South Africa kind of wasn't necessarily always tuning in. After no, a couple. no, and I mean now it's a completely different beast. But yeah. the first three records, I, I, the first three winners, I dominated in terms of A and R. Yeah, uh, uh, what they looked like, what the album sounded like, what yeah. we did on promotion and marketing. I completely, because that to me was the only way that I would make it work. My job was to make it work for Universal. Yeah. My, my job was to sell. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we did it, and I mean, I, I, I think, I think we did it. We did a great job. But by two thir thirteen, with all the things that were happening with Universal and EMI and Randall coming in, and uh, you know, and, yeah, yeah, and I just okay done. We're speaking of putting out albums. Yeah. 
can we backtrack a little and can you tell the ACDC story? <laughs> <laughs> okay. what year, when was that? Uh, 78, I think, if I'm not, not mistaken. Okay. So we're so, dialing back to you at Weir. At, at Weir, yeah, in Parktown. Okay. And I had championed ACDC. Because in those days, how it worked is you would get a pile of what we called white labels. Okay. So, which were advanced uh, copies of advanced copies of albums, but they were literally white labels. They white had labels. nothing, nothing on, them. on them. You had a, 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 a typewritten sheet, yeah, on the, and come in. I, and I used to sit upstairs and play these things. Go, okay, I'm going to release that. No, I'm not going. Well, this sounds that. interesting. Yeah. But I had championed ACDC from the first album, High Voltage. Yeah, and uh, I just loved the sound. It was so yeah. like primal, you know. Yeah, uh, but nothing happened with with Dirty Deeds done. Uh, dirt cheap or high voltage then let there be rock came up and i remember getting the album and and just this thing exploding out of the speakers and i went oh my god i'm gonna fucking put this out yeah, yeah. and i ordered the production parts now in those days what happened is you ordered the production parts right they came in uh they would send you what's called a chromalin proof yeah which is a flat paper a uh, flat board with the artwork all on one, one, in one piece. So yeah. spine, inside, outside, etc. And you would just check it for colors or for logos or whatever. Yeah. And you would order the tapes, the, the, the quarter-inch tapes. So when the chromalin proof came in, uh, it was, I had not seen the American, I'd not seen the American copy. Yeah. So, and it looked, the, this cover was green and purple. I didn't think twice of it. That's the cover. Yeah. Went ahead, put it into production. I think we pressed up 500. Yeah. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, the American copy arrived and it was orange and red. <laughs> yeah. So I went, oops. Now, the, the thing was, I had to do something about it because uh, I, I deal with, with, with we as with all territories that, that did the same thing. You had to send a copy of the local album to, to the label. Yeah. So I quickly put it back into production with the correct artwork. What had happened is that... Yeah, the, I was about to say, how did yeah. the mistake happen? Okay, so the printers reversed. Uh, uh, um, in those days, to print a cover of a, a vinyl LP, you had what's called separations of five different levels of film with yeah. different colors on it. Yeah. And you had to put them in a sequence in order to print it. Yeah, it's wild. What, take one of them out and put them in the wrong place and you get an anomaly. Yeah, because the way in which the colors then mix on top of each other makes them... So what happened yeah. is we landed up with a green and purple. So I had to withdraw that, but we had already sold five and it went out. And yeah. my boss said, let's just keep it quiet, get the new one done, send that, and we sent it. That was, that was it. Yeah. Years later, years later, and it continues yeah. to this day, copies of that misprint yeah. fetch thousands of rands. Yeah. It's exactly the same album. There's no yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no mixes on it yeah. or anything like that, but this anomaly has made it collectible for ACDC and indeed classic rock fans. Yeah, around the world. Around the world, because that's what's so wild about it. And I've dabbled in that now for the last few years. I've been skirting around the edges, and now I'm getting more and more into the idea of of collecting vinyl, just because it's just such a fun thing to just yeah. understand. And, you know, every time I come and visit you, you know, you share more and more stories and, you know, it's this label, or this misprint, or this is track A is listed wrong. And, oh, it's you know, great. And, 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 and South Africa has made a few of these mistakes. 
you, and now you being one of them, which was so great. And and and, and the, the the thing was that then I started and and still do get letters from people saying, "Can you tell me the story?" Yeah. So what I did is I wrote the story out. Yeah. And whenever anyone wants, I send a copy of the story to them. Yeah, just because it kind of authenticates and it's been, yeah, the, and it's the been copy. reprinted in fanzines and on in, on on blogs and all around, around the world and you've never held a copy of one no i mean it's i've got the original i've got my original red and orange one my yeah. american import yeah because i'm a, a huge acdc fan okay but, but you haven't felt the need to sort of keep your no, own mistake. no it's I, not about that yeah i yeah i don't collect anomalies i don't collect uh, okay. misprints or anything like it i leave that to this wonderful yeah. zany weird tribe out there that do that sort of okay. thing no, that makes you know? sense. and I love them because they're, they're customers of mine yeah, you know? yeah. Um, what did you watch last night I you went you to see the, yeah, I, uh, the, the movie. I went to go and see uh, the Banshees of Inneskillander um, Inneshiran Inneshiran yeah um, with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson oh. I've, I've seen the, the press on it yeah and Brendan Gleeson and, and Farrell together are magic because I've yeah. seen them in Bruges, yeah. uh, which I loved. I, I haven't watched Have that. You never I've, watched them. I've, I've wanted to, and I, I think I even tried and sat down at one point, but no, I haven't. Oh, it's uh, two hitmen in a small Belgian town. Yeah, it's, no, it sounds, it's brilliant. Sounds great, but it's that it's it's the, it's the Irish. It's the Irish thing. It yeah. gets. Because I'm half Irish. Okay, yeah. My so you, you got a bit of Scottish, a bit of Irish. Half Irish, half Scottish, which when okay. it, yeah, which can in the past have led to quite a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. But um, so we went to go and see it yesterday afternoon and, and my Did wife and I it? loved it. Okay. I love that. I love it's bleak. Yeah. It's set on a, a pretty much an inhospitable island at, mm. at, at around about, it looks to be around about the, uh, the 1910 to 1920 period in Ireland when there was civil war between, uh, between, uh, Sinn Féin, IRA, early IRA, and the Royalists. Mm. So, but that doesn't really impact very much. In the movie. About two guys. Uh, in so this, it's not in modern times? Not in modern times, uh, not at all. There's not a car to be seen, not a phone to be seen. Okay, uh, lovely. The landscape is unbelievably, breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. The sets from a cinematic point of view, uh, the scope of it. It's just yeah. incredible. Because the idea is that there's a sort of war in the background, but it's yeah, not, it doesn't feature too much in the film. No, this is a, a film which I, uh, which I love, uh, the interaction between characters. Yeah, it's a sort of buddy film in a sense, that it's just about a friendship. Well, it's about a friendship that goes wrong. And, and, yeah. and what surprised me more, I mean, uh, Brendan Gleeson, I mean, for me, is one of the great, uh, if not the greatest Irish actor, but one yeah. of the best actors in the world. He's just really good. Colin Farrell, I've always seen as a Hellraiser mm. kind of, uh, you know, he does uh, detective movies. Mm. Um, although in In Bruges, he was very, very good. But in this, he is, 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 is amazing. Lovely. And it's it, I, and I'm glad that he's been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how but it's, it, it uh, plays it's, out. Uh, it's, um, there's no gloss on this film at mm. all. Quite raw. It's raw. It's it's funny. Mm. It's it's um, it makes you sad mm. because it gets out of hand. Um, but we came out and 
I said to my wife, that's got to be one of the... That's the first time I've been to movies for three years. I was about to say, yeah. Because, you know, when Covies came in, mm. uh, we never went. Mm. So it was the first time and it's kind of just reaffirmed my love for film. Yeah. I love films. Mm. Uh, uh, um, I watch every night. I watch something, you yeah. know. At the moment I'm watching... I've just finished uh, on Netflix uh, um, The White Lotus... Uh, yeah, it's on um, Showmax. Showmax, sorry, on Showmax. Yeah. Which this is, is now the second theory. season? No, the first one. Okay, I I'm, yet, I'm yet to finish the first season. Okay. I find it hysterically funny. Yeah. And all, again, it's character driven. Yeah. Whereas, and it's very tension building, very very moody. Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, it gets that, dark. And it, imagine White Lotus without the score, without... You know, you'd appreciate this, oh, the, this the, all the Hawaiian music and, and everything is amazing. And the, like, but I mean, for. the characters. I mean, the, the hotel manager is just amazing. Mm. And the family and all the dynamics between the characters. And that's to me what film is about. I'm not one for Mission Impossible Ten yeah. or the or, or what seems to be the trend now, Marvel. Yeah, I'm not sure. a Marvel guy. I want a real film. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So it's 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 a really it, so that I've just watched um, some of my favorite films. Um, Platoon. Yeah. Platoon had a huge impact on me. Okay. Because I saw it in a private screening in 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 in, in a place like this. Yeah. Uh, on my own, the film company had said it because we had the soundtrack. Oh. And I sat in this in this in this theater on my own, and was absolutely blown away. Yeah. So you did you rewatch that recently? Oh yeah, I watched it on 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 DVD. Yeah. And it's still very powerful. It was the first film for me that really showed what war was. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know the performances, Johnny Depp, uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, um, you know, all all of uh, Emilio uh, Estevez, and, and I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. Charlie Sheen, sorry, Charlie yeah. Sheen, and yeah. his dad. And then, um, and of course, I mean, my biggest influence is Lord of the Rings, you know, the trilogy. Ah, okay. What, this one that we, yeah, yeah the the Peter the, Jackson. The Peter film, Jackson. Uh, I mean, I, I, um, I was dating a girl that um, w was in the position to get tickets for the, the premiere of all three. Okay. Um, one in, in the three year period. Yeah. So I hung around, uh, stayed with her until the end of the <laughs> <laughs> Because I knew I would get. I was uh, about to say this obviously didn't turn out to be your wife. No, who I no, know didn't, no, 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 Also no. has that kind of access. Yeah. So, so, uh, but I loved it. I mean, when I was a child uh, um, in Scotland, and, yeah. and when I came here, the book, the Tolkien book, yeah, um, took me into another dimension, yeah. another uh, another world, far sure. removed from living in housing tenements in Dundee, Scotland. And yeah. cold weather, and it, it, it was the fantasy of it all. I've yeah. always said that I think Tolkien probably did, did drugs because, yeah. because the, the book, how a, a, a guy from Bloemfontein yeah. right, could write a tale like that yeah. with all those characters and invent languages and invent histories and glossaries. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a widely known fact that I think Lewis Carroll did a lot of drugs. I mean, when you look oh, at Alice when you look Wonder. at Alice in Wonderland, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Oh yeah, fully, absolutely. But I don't know about Tolkien. Could have been smoking some pipe. Could have been. Well, I mean, the hobbits were. Yeah, 
So, so movies yeah. are a big, a big thing with me. And you also said recently when I last visited you, you enjoyed the Pamela Anderson documentary. Surprisingly, yeah. It was surprisingly good. Yeah, and I came out with a, a newfound respect for her. I'd always seen her as, I suppose, the media portrayed her back then as, as a bimbo. Yeah, we were all subject to that. And so we didn't see a lot of the humanity behind her. We didn't really give her a lot of time to talk and explain herself because we just saw tabloids. And so um, they have uh, just put out a documentary. It also comes at the same time as a book. But yeah, on Netflix is something called Pamela, A Love Story. Yes, that's the one and, I saw, yeah. Um, it's produced by her son. Mm. I saw that, and they're both sons and, in there, yeah. And that's really interesting. There's, they they feature in the film, but it's not clear, and it's not front of center that it's actually produced by the son, the oldest son. And you learn this quite quickly in film school, that that you, the way you really care about your subject will, will come through, no matter what. Even if you're pretending, like subconsciously, you're going to portray a character in a particular way, whether you are aware of it or not. And because it comes from a quite caring, respectful, loving place from her son, it's it's sculpted so nicely in that way that you actually really get the respect and the care coming through. But also it works because it's completely honest. She's honest in it. She's allowed to tell her story yeah. without all the gloss and the glitter on it. Yeah. So the sex tape with Tommy Lee... Uh, um, the, the various marriages and miscarriages and everything. I mean, she's very candid in, as you know, yeah. she's very candid in, in the film. But I, I got to the end of it and I thought, you're a really nice human being. You love your children. You love family. Yeah. And uh, you can see from the, from the docky that she still hasn't found the one. Uh, yeah, it's strange. It's sort of like the take home is that Tommy Lee will always, always be her be the love, one. but yeah. she can't be with him. No. And so she'll sort of never have no. that. But, but, but it's good. So I, I tend to, when I'm looking, uh, now that I've found my newfound uh, desire to go to movies, that's going to be my Sunday thing. But I'm always looking for things, on, 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 um, on, on, particularly on Netflix. I mean, there's a great documentary um, which is uh, called The Black Godfather, which is yes. about Clarence Avent. Yes. Now you were telling me about this, and I didn't so know about that. So he is—he used to run Motown Records for Barry Gordy, um, but also was known in America as the guy that could connect you to people. I mean, you've got people in the film. You've got Barack uh, Obama. You've got Bill Clinton, all singing his praises, and Barry Gordy, and all these various people. And, and this guy's name is Clarence Avent. He's also the guy who signed Rodriguez. Yes. And so he, is he the guy in, in, in the Searching in the for Sugarman film that goes, I don't know. I don't know I don't why know, yeah. I didn't get to him. Or yeah, why? yeah. So, <laughs> he doesn't come across too great in that film. Well, he, he comes across, he's very flippant in the, in the docky. Yeah. He's kind of like, well, you know, it is what it is. And I don't give a shit whether you like it or not. Yeah. He, he, you know, it's that kind of attitude. Yeah, well, but, I guess for him, Rodriguez was one of like, just thousands of artists that came across his plate. So he probably sculpted and made many, but yeah. a couple were lost, and this was just one of them. But I think that that, that was the era of, 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 of record companies or labels that 
the artist didn't come first. Yeah. Um, and it was the label that, you know, and I mean, the music industry is as rotten, as corrupt as the mafia is. Yeah. Uh, uh, and certainly in the 70s, yeah. the music industry was very mafia in America. Yeah. Um, I met some people. I met... Uh, I was about to say, did you feel any oh, of Oh, yeah. I met uh, Michael Jackson's manager. Yeah. Um, who at that time was managing Laura Branigan, who was an artist that we had a lot of success with. Okay. Uh, called Frank DeLeo. And yeah. he was this tiny, squat, Italian-American with a ponytail. Yeah. And that New York accent, that it could have come straight out of The Sopranos, yeah. which is incidentally one of my favorite series yeah, yeah, of all yeah. time. Right. And I mean, you, 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 when, you, when, you, when I started going to America in the 70s with, with, with the, on behalf of the, the label, um, you would meet people with Italian names, you know? Yeah. You know, and you would go, Tom Ruffino, or, you know, what yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And, and sure, they were, I'm sure they were mafia. But he had, but he had a sort of greaseballness to him. DeLeo. Yeah. DeLeo was a dangerous person. You could, you pick it up, you, you don't fuck with him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he, he bought me a drink, and, and, in America, they when they pour a, a Jack Daniels, it's not like Joburg, yeah, yeah. where you get a little tot glass. Yeah, yeah. They pour yeah. half a tumbler, and so and I was going to dinner. I mean, the story with Laura and I, and that dinner is also another story yeah, altogether, because yeah. I nearly got arrested in 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 New York for smoking a joint <laughs> on Fifth Avenue with Laura Branigan the night before I was due to fly to London on the last flight on the Concorde. Did and you make it on the Concorde? I made it, but I lay on the floor all the way. Why? Was, Why were you on the I floor? Was finished. I mean, because <laughs> you were so hungover. Well, we went to a after we we had a drink at her apartment with Frank Delaire, We headed off to a uh, Mexican restaurant where tequilas and margaritas and wine yeah, and yeah. everything was consumed. And then Laura was this this tall, buxom Irish American singer who had big hits with Gloria and self-control. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I was about to say, La, I and her songs. and I got on like a house on fire. And so when we went out, she said, let's have a smoke. And she lit up a joint. And then she was swinging around the lamppost, yeah. you know, with the joint and everything. And then, and then she said, here, yeah, you have some. And, and then as you I, held I, it. the cops pulled up. <laughs> yeah. well, and they jumped out. And I went, what are you doing? I was like, you know. And uh, oh, they went, hey, Laura, baby, how are you? You know, da, da, yeah, da, yeah, da. yeah. And the last thing I remember is just, just waking up in the morning on the floor in the hotel um, and, and, and giving $100 to the cab driver and saying, get me to JFK. Like as quick as you can. Quick as you can. And so did you take the last flight on the Concorde? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild. Yeah. I've still got the… Uh, the certificate. No, I've got the… Um, like the ticket. No, it's a, a flask, a silver flask. Yeah, they gave you something. Yeah, yeah, they always gave you something. Um, but it was, yeah, it was. I, I'd earned the flight because I'd done so much traveling yeah. uh, that the the uh, travel agents yeah. had, they have an association around the world and these tickets came up and she won it and she gave it to me. Um, it's the person who did all my bookings. So I used to go to America four or five times a year. Yeah. You know, to New York and L.A. Lots wow. of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> That's wild. No, no, just the Concord's one of those interesting things where you think, why in 2023 do we not have that? 
and you know there's a whole bunch of videos on the internet that explain why and you know and, and how also largely uncomfortable it was but there is a push to get certain kind of supersonic flights back depending there's yeah there's just there's a whole bunch of reasons why it it, it no yeah. longer was a thing but it's always fascinates me when you go like why 30 40 years ago did you have these amazing quick flights mm. and why do they not exist now mm. it's, it's interesting it is interesting i mean it was look i don't remember it being uncomfortable i do remember it being very cramped yeah uh, because i was lying on the floor um <laughs> and and when they came with lunch because uh, it takes three hours to get from from uh, from uh, New York to London, and they oh. came with lunch on there with wine. Yeah. I mean, I, I I couldn't. I mean, and you know, they just shook me awake about half an hour beforehand. I landed up in London, went straight from Heathrow to uh, a conference. Yeah. Uh, in pieces. <laughs> but that <laughs> was the life of the being in a record company. You yeah, know? Geez, I'm sure you must have loved that. Eh? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I did. Magic. Um, is there anything you would want to watch more of now? You you enjoy documentaries. Love documentaries. Um, I'd like to. I, I, I'd like to kind of see film returning to re, re, real now. You know, reality things. You know, that's the beautiful thing about about. What them. do you mean? As opposed to like a CGI. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think what's and it's not just film. It's music. It's technology. Yeah. Everything is, you know, you've now got this new Microsoft and and um, chat group, chat thing now, this uh, AI thing, which is sure, now, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, everything is going in, in in that direction, and along the way, reality is being left behind, and you're recreating these alternative worlds of reality, which aren't really reality. They're, sure, they're, sure. They they they're fantasy worlds, and the effect of I think social media on young people's life, in my opinion, is is catastrophic. Uh, people don't know how to read. People don't know how to converse. People don't know how to write. Everything is tickety, 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 tickety. Yeah. So with film, I'd like to see more, more films coming out dealing with what's going on in the world. Okay. Uh, I think uh, a film you would like, because that's part of what we try and do here, is to give you at least one thing that you could rent, so to mm. speak, from mm. this video store. Have you seen The Fablemans? No. Do you know what The Fablemans is? So The Fablemans is, is one of the films nominated in this year's Oscars, and okay. it's Steven Spielberg's life story. Okay. His childhood story. Right. And uh, very much celebrates how he discovered the magic of cinema and the early sort of bug of finding a passion, which I think you'd appreciate. But at the core of it um, is very much the troubled situation of his family mm. and his mom and his parents and this kind of split that they have. Mm. Um, but it is touching, simple, beautiful. And I think if you are now going to the cinemas... You must catch the fableman. Well, I mean, I, I, it's something I'd like to see. I think next on our list is Babylon. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see it. I think it's one of those that, yeah, has been a bit misrepresented. I don't know whether people know exactly what they're getting. Mm. Um, but I think it will certainly well, show you. That period you, of cinema yeah, fascinates me. Yeah, and I think it will show you like 
the workings of an industry, which are perhaps different to music, but still similar in its own way. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you think of Babylon. It's on my list of obviously things to watch. Yeah, we're going to watch that this week. Uh, um, but then I would inc- I would include Fablemans. I think you'd appreciate okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So so getting back to that point, it's just that I, I, I want to go and see films that make me think. You know, I don't need, I, I need to digest stories. Yeah. And, and I just find, particularly now with, I mean, we saw a, a, a trailer yesterday for a movie called Cocaine Bear. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the trailer? <laughs> I've seen the idea of it. In the, the idea, yeah, yeah. which this bear ingests a whole bunch of... I think it's based on a true story. Yeah, ingests a whole bunch of yeah. stolen cocaine. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going, okay, is, <laughs> is that... Sometimes the idea is better than the movie itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, a, be- a bear on coke. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> friends of mine told this haunting story, um, and I, of course, won't name the friends because of the story, but they uh, they had a Jack Russell that discovered um, some of their cocaine oh, in their no. house. Oh. And I mean, a, a Jack Russell on its own oh, I have is three. insane. I have three of them. So. so a Jack Russell on coke, I think, nearly oh. killed this little dog, which is, oh, you know, quite, so sad. quite sad. But I think the dog's fine. And it just had a rampage <laughs> of, an, I, of a I, day. I own three of them. They 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 are like my children. Um, I love them. I can share one little funny anecdote, which I think you'd appreciate. Um, Short Straw have a, a, a dog charity, this right. foundation we started, which raises money for dog um, charities. Ah. And we, um, yeah, just because we think that, you know, because we got asked over the years so many times to sort of do charity stuff, which we often did or wanted to do or wished we could do. Um, but then there were a couple of moments where it was like, sorry, what? We're doing what for what? No, man. Let's do our own. Let's start our own thing so that we know exactly where the money is going and we can put it to the right things. So we started the Bowsy Foundation. And we did one campaign where we had this money that we were now giving away. And we went to, um, it's called the dog, somewhere in Hardebeersport. I forget what it's called. Dogtown. Dogtown. And uh, these dogs were in these kind of bigger cages, like mm. bigger. So they had a little bit of pla- yeah. place to run around. Um, and when we were walking past, obviously, you kind of try and pet them through the thing. And the lady said, just what? look at their names. And if it, their name is red, don't put your fingers through. That's a, that's a dangerous dog. And you'd see this like big pit bull called like Taser or something. But she's like, no, he's, he's a sweetheart. We, we give him um, things to calm him down when there's thunder. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is not a thing. The only dog we saw that had the red um, was this dog called Little George. And it was a little Jack Russell. And <laughs> let me tell you, if that dog was a human, it would fucking shiv you for like 10 rand. <laughs> like, it looked like... An absolute fucking maniac. Well, that sounds like my Billy Boy, because my Billy Boy okay. is Mike Tyson in a Jack Russell body. Wild. He, he's a thug. He yeah. doesn't like other dogs. He, he has dick. to be kept on a leash. Yeah. The others run around in the, in the park. He comes yeah, from yeah. a shelter, because like yeah. you, I, I, I mean, I have, my charity is, is the Animal Anti-Cruelty League down in, yeah. in, in Rosedmo. So all the stuff that comes into the, to the vinyl junkie store that I don't want. 
Yeah. I donate to them. Oh, uh, cool. So that they, and, yeah. and I raise money for them for dog food and uh, lovely. stuff like that. Because humans but, are the worst. Dogs, dogs, dogs need help. Listen, you can wipe out the whole human race. Just give me a, a pack of Jackies and I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Magic, man. But listen, I think it'd be nice to catch up every now and again. Yeah, yeah. We, love we you can to have you get on. some of the stories and. But we 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 are we starting the we starting the process of of telling some stories, which is amazing. Um, and I will see you pretty soon. Yep. I'll let that cool. st- I'll let that um, vinyl soundtrack stock build up again because I've just recently yep. pillaged your stock. Right. And yeah, it's just lovely to have someone like you in my life that can share the industry stuff. You know, especially with me also being in a band and right. navigating the music industry. It's always you know, when Amazing. we were at Universal, we met with you guys. Yeah, you met with um, Alistair, Alistair, the yeah. singer um, and well, frontman of Short Straw. Because I saw you guys in, um, what was that club down in Auckland Park? Um, the Bohemian? The Bohemian. Yeah. We, we had, I, um, I saw you there with my then assistant, the late Rowan. Mm. Um, and uh, and I, we were blown away. You were... Um, exchanging instruments and it was fun and everything. And yeah, it was. Again, it's a I very. It was just before I joined, and I, uh, I was a fan of Short Straw at that yeah, time. But yeah. I was friends with them, and they eventually needed no, they, a, they, a bassist, and so I joined. They, they were, they were, um, they, they, they were great, and, and it was a visceral thing. Yeah, I, I, if I like it, I wanted to do it. It yeah. didn't matter to me whether it was commercial, whether yeah. it was acceptable. Yeah, uh, and. So we saw them, and, I, I, and, and, and he was, I, I said to him, you know, because he was young, I said, you, you talk, to, talk to the band. He spoke with the band, and then we met them in uh, Greenside. Yeah. And we were going to sign them, and then Rowan sadly was killed a, couple oh. of, a week or so later Ooh, in a car accident. He was Nancy Hillary's uh, son. Nancy Hillary was the big promoter at that time okay. uh, of, of South African bands. She did Woodstock and... Oh, that's All right. That. I remember hearing yeah. Nancy um, being mentioned. Yeah. And, and yeah, which was a, a big loss. But yeah, so it's... Funny, yeah, I just didn't sort of work And you're out. a bass player, I'm an ex-bass player. Lovely. And there you go. <laughs> Good Magic. to chat. Thanks, Benji. Chat soon. Cheers. All right, what a great chat. Um, what an interesting life. What a fascinating dude. Uh, my name is Russell Grant. Today on the show, I was chatting to Benji Moody. You can go and visit him if you... Uh, live in Joburg. Uh, you can always pop into Vinyl Junkies, which is his record store there in Blair Gowery uh, on Conrad Drive. Um, this is the section of the show called The Cash Up, where we like to kind of right the wrongs, balance the till, just, just get some things in order before we uh, turn off the lights and go home. Uh, as you could perhaps tell, we recorded this episode quite a while ago. Uh, we had a couple of other episodes banked that were a bit more time-sensitive based on films coming out or albums being released or uh, exciting um, events, venues opening. So so this one, um, we, we kept it for a little bit longer than we perhaps should have, but uh, it still obviously holds up. Uh, Banshees of Inisherin, which we spoke about, is now available for you to watch over on Disney+. And I see The Fablemans has since come to Apple TV in the, in the store section, so one pays for that. Um, great. Thank you very much for listening. Um, another nice little mention was our limited edition release, uh, Hillbrow Record Center. That T-shirt, uh, that T-shirt is available to order again 
over on limitededish.com. All right. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We are The Video Store, and you can share the love by showing people uh, thevideostore.co.za. You can find your platform if you haven't already, and uh, please give us a rating and a review. That kind of stuff goes a long way. And join our chats over on social media. We've got Instagram and Facebook. Let us know what you are watching and what you think we should be talking more of if there is a show we are not talking about. All right. Thank you for listening. We will see you again next week. All the best. Cheers.